this summer. The family hit the road. We did some road tripping, got a couple little boys. So the thought of a road trip at this point just uh, starts to give me anxiety. Uh, there was a lot of time in the car with these little ones. And so we drove, and we, we, at one point we, we went to Calgary to visit some family and friends. And as we, we drove back, we stopped in in Kelowna. And as we left Kelowna, I, I knew, hey, I've got to fill up the tank with gas before we leave Kelowna, but there's something about my driving on road trips that I, I've come to realize about myself, and that is, as you're driving down the highway, you, you're, I'm kind of jockeying for position, you know, with other cars, and you pass somebody, and it took a little bit of work, a lane opened, you finally pass them, you don't want to be stuck at a gas station, because then you have to do all that work again. So I was really, <laughs> between... You know, out of Kelowna, I had some really great successes, you could say. And I I didn't want to mess with those. So I looked down at my tank, and it was like under under a quarter of a tank. I'm like, I need to get gas soon. I need to make this quick. I'm not letting the kids out of the car. I just had a plan. But as I I went out of Kelowna and through West Bank, is it West Bank? Yeah, all right. West Kelowna, thank you. We're getting educated here. I like it. West Kelowna, we're driving through there, and I see a gas station. I'm like, not this one. I'm not ready. I need to get past this RV. And uh, uh, 45 minutes later, there were no more gas stations. And I had been driving for a long time. And I didn't realize, but that was my last shot, you know? And so now I'm like cold sweats. I haven't really talked about the gas situation with Emily, but I have turned off the air conditioning because I know that uses more fuel. <laughs> it was like super hot. And uh, people, their family started to wonder what's going on. The boys are complaining more than ever. And, uh, I'm just, and so I'm just finally like, you know what, I think we're going to run out of gas. When I saw the sign that said, you know, you know next stop, 160 kilometers, or, you know. So there I was at the side of the highway, um, trying to get out our boy's little craft bucket uh, from the back so I could write a sign. Well, of course, when you open up the trunk on a road trip, everything has been meticulously puzzle-packed, Right. And their little craft bin was really deep. So I, I'm there like hauling out half of what I've packed, get to their little thing, get purple construction paper out, and I'm writing gas, question mark, and there I stand beside the highway. <laughs> Emily overjoyed in this situation, obviously, in the car. And the boys, like, I, we just wanted to get home at this point. It had been a couple weeks of driving. So there I am, purple construction paper, gas sign. And a few cars in, you know, an RV uh, pulled up, and they had a jerry can and helped me out. And in merit, I was able to fill up that jerry can again for him. So um, needless to say, when we don't plan well, <laughs> when we don't plan well with, with where we're going, we can get ourselves into trouble. This fall, um, I want you to know, in one sense, we know exactly where we're going But in another sense, there's always this uh, longing to, this desire for, and prayers that say, God, what do you have for us? So we want to plan well, and we also want to be really open to where God's leading. And so I want you to know this fall, as we start a new ministry year, that's, that's what we're trying to hold. We're trying to hold the balance of these two things. And so here's what we know about where we're going, and we, we have it on walls, so that's very helpful. 
We have a purpose, and our purpose is that we exist to be authentic followers of Jesus, leading others to follow him. Jesus said in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that I've commanded. So there's this sense of disciple-making. We want to be followers of Jesus. A word for that is disciple. We want to be his disciples. We want to know him more. We want to have ministry in this church that, that... that edifies us and strengthens our faith. And so we're really intentional about that. We want people to know Jesus more. We, want, we exist to be authentic followers of Jesus, walking more closely with him. It's discipleship. And we also want to lead others to follow him. We want to make disciples and be disciple makers. And so that's what Jesus commissioned the church to do. And that very much is why we exist and why churches ought to exist. And so that's very much woven into the fabric of who we are and where we're going, and it ought to. And then we have a vision for working that out, and it's that we, we, are lo- we love God, love people, and serve our world. And so um, the loving God component is our relationship with Jesus, sort of this vertical relationship. Our loving people is, it might not be too clear, but it's a loving one another that we do. It's, it's the people of God. It's the church. So we want to love each other well, and then we want to serve the world well. So these are all independent, but, but obviously they're all intertwined. And so we're, we're kicking off a new sermon series called One Anothering, um, partially because it's fun to make up words. And the other reason is because we want to focus in on, on um, these, these commands, these instructions in the New Testament that show up a lot. And a lot of the time when, the, when instruction is given to the church in the New Testament is regarding one another's. That we should love one another, pray for one another, be hospitable to one another, encourage one another, right? All of these, like, confess your sins to one another, and on and on they go. And so we're going to spend this fall, in a way, focusing on the loving people, the loving one another component of our vision. Um, because it's really critical that we understand that well. And so the one another's in the scriptures are two people in the church, how we are to treat one another. But I want us to see, and it's, it's probably obvious, but I want us to see that these, these, these pieces of vision are so correlated, right? Because we can't actually be community. We can't actually love one another well if there's not a loving God component. If, if we have to be walking with Jesus in, in order to properly understand Christian community. So our love for Jesus, our walk with the Lord, informs our community. We only truly know how to be that in light of our relationship with Jesus. Um, We also see that in light of what Jesus has done, that it causes us to want to go to the world, to tell people about Jesus, because we've discovered Jesus and all he's done for us, so we want to go. What's also compelling, and we'll see it this morning in the text, is that the way we treat one another within the church is actually really our greatest witness to the world. And so, um, as you can see, our vision is intertwined, therefore. All of them have to go with each other for us to be effective as as a church and as a ministry. So let me read you the text we're going to look at. We're going to focus on love one another this morning as we start the series because everything flows from there. We pray for one another because we love one another. We forgive one another because we love one another. So we have to start there. So we are going to start there. Let me read John chapter 13, starting in verse 34. Just a couple of verses, and then we'll get into it. John 13, verse 34 says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. 
Jesus said, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. I want to tell you the three points I think really clearly come out of this text, and then we'll walk through them together. We see in these words of Jesus, and they're found in other places in the New Testament, compelling us to love one another. We see that the love of Christian community has Jesus as our model, firstly. Secondly, the love of Christian community is more costly and beautiful than you think. And thirdly, the love of Christian community is our most powerful witness to a watching world. So let's start with the first one. The love of Christian community has Jesus as our model. Do you notice what Jesus says in, in the, very, the very first uh, part of that verse? Here's what he says. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. Well, if you're like me, you stop for a second and go, wait a minute, like, what's new about that? Right? All the law and the prophets hung on love the Lord your God with heart, Mind, body, strength, right? Love the Lord with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, this has been ongoing. Like, we're talking Deuteronomy here. Like, we're talking, like, the Pentateuch, the very beginning. This is what we've been instructed to do, and Jesus affirms that. This is what we are about. So why does he say here, a new commandment I give you? Love one another. What's new about it? Well, here's what's new. The model has changed. Jesus says to his followers, just as I've loved you, you're to love one another. There's a real difference between love your neighbor as yourself and just as Jesus has loved us, we are to love. There's something new going on here. Quite regularly with my five and three-year-old, we wrestle, right? And so they, they just love to do this. Like a couple of little boys and they, they just start grabbing my neck and, you know, just jumping on me. And I, I pick them up and I like to throw them across the room onto the couch, Right? It's just very fun. And, and it gets to the point when I'm wrestling with these guys this big and throwing them and twisting them and spinning them that I, I actually start to think, I'm pretty strong. <laughs> I just threw a human body across the living room. I, wow. Like, right? And then, and then uh, all right, let's see here. Right? And then someone like Mike shows up and he's just a lot bigger. <laughs> I think uh, my, my belief in my strength is now a little bit different. So <laughs> I'm not so strong. I, I, I can throw, right? I have 15-year-old boy arms, right? They haven't, the muscles haven't started to form yet. I, I, I think at 40 that's going to kick in for me, but I don't know. So it's all relative, right? And when you discuss, well, what, how strong am I? What's my strength? Well, what's the model? What's the standard? The standard has changed, and it's Jesus. It's, 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 it's totally different, and it's totally new. Um, loving my neighbor as I want to be loved and, 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 and as I love myself is a good model. That's a good moral standard for people to have. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? What you, how you would like to be treated, treat them. That's a great moral standard, and we are to follow that. And yet, loving all of those in the household of faith, just as Jesus loved us, is the far greater model. It's the difference between wrestling a three-year-old and wrestling six-foot-four Mike, you know, or whatever. It's just so different. The standard has changed. So what do we learn from Jesus' model? Let me show you. As Jesus says, just as I've loved you, you are to love one another. Let, let's look at what that means, what Jesus as the model means for love. Well, it starts with incarnation. 
I'm just going to say four. We could go on and on and on. But look at the incarnation. The incarnation shows us that there's no, Jesus coming to earth, that there's no distance Jesus would not travel to love us. Jesus displays the kind of love that says, there's no distance I wouldn't go to love you. Look at the cross. Look at Jesus as the model and look at the cross. It, it says no suffering and sacrifice. Uh, Jesus, um, there was no suffering and sacrifice that Jesus was not willing to make to love us. He bled love. No distance he would not go, no suffering or sacrifice he would not do, he would not take on to love us. Look at the generosity of his love. There's no person too lost or too bad for Jesus to forgive, heal, set free, or adopt in love. It's this generous love, sacrificial love. It's a love of distance. It's also a love of commitment. Romans 8 says, No death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Just a couple chapters later in the Gospel of John, verse 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. In this context of John chapter 13, Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. He's allowed Judas to slip out of the room. And he's about to look Peter in the eyes and foretell that Peter will deny him three times. That's the context. And in the midst of all of that going on and the cross approaching, Jesus says, here's a new command. Love each other just as I have loved you. Foot-washing love. The love for a betrayer. Love for people that is willing to die for them. It's a sacrificial love, the love shown in the death of Christ, and it's to be shown for all believers, by all believers. It's this pursuing love, forgiving love, and it's to be replicated. If you're like me, you're starting to say, okay, how? How in the world can we love like Jesus? We're commanded to love like Jesus, but how do we do that? Like how? It seems impossible. This command is absolutely unfathomable. How can I love like Jesus? Yet the love Jesus brought is made possible by a new power. The one who commands also provides a way for us to love that way. The same Jesus who raised the standard indwells in the life of every believer, empowering us to achieve this radical love. When we walk by the Spirit of God, indwelling inside of every believer, we can love with Christ-like love. So Jesus raises the bar. There's a new model. There's a new standard. And it seems impossible to reach. And yet that same Jesus who raises the standard says, and I will give you my spirit to dwell inside you so you can achieve what is humanly impossible. Can I just tell you this week, and actually the last few weeks, I have just felt the fear of God in myself. I've never been a lead pastor going into a new fall before. <laughs> and there's all these ministries and all these amazing volunteers and all these pastors who've got great ministry and every once in a while people are kind of looking at me like, where are we going? What are we doing? I'm going, you know, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I hope I know. I'm trying to know. I'm praying to know. I'm, 
I'm asking God, what are you doing in this place? But like, look, I can't. Matt Shantz, 33 years old. I can't lead very well in this place in my own strength. It gets sapped really quick. I run dry really quick. My gifts get used up real fast. They only go so far. So God has thrust me into this role where I have no other choice but to say, God, I need you. I absolutely need you. Or this is, this is going to go horribly. It's the same thing when we look at a command like this. It's like, how do we do it? How do we love God? How do we love people like Jesus has loved us? And we start to look at it, start to look at how he's loved us. It's impossible. My friends, the only way we can achieve it is if every morning we get up and say, Lord, help me to love in a way that I can't, but that you can. And you've given me your Holy Spirit to enable me to. He's an empowering God that calls us to standards that are far more than we could ever reach. And yet he empowers us by his Spirit to reach them through him. It's a people given to Jesus and daily reliance on Jesus. Would you go there with me? Let's go there together. Jesus is the model of the love we are commanded to have for one another. He's also the provider of the means to achieve it. The Holy Spirit inside us. Secondly, the love of Christian community is more costly and beautiful than you think. More costly how? We live in an age um, that really is centered around feeling. How do you feel? How are you feeling? I actually use this phrase a lot. I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. Do you want to go to their house for dinner? I'm not feeling it. (laughs) Do you want to go vacuum? No, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> I would love to. No, I'm not feeling it. Right? We just we, we we so function out of that. Do we not? If we're products of our age, that's the way our lives revolve. It's like, how am I feeling? What are my emotions? So we have this till I don't feel it anymore attitude. We bring it into our marriages. I mean, I I've physic I've heard people. You've heard people say. Look, they're a great person, but I I fell out of love with them. I'm not in love with them anymore. I'm not feeling it anymore. Marriages end because there's not the feel that they wanted to have or thought it it should have. It happens also um, in the church. You go into church, ah, I'm not feeling it anymore. I don't feel like going. Right? We we base what what ought to be covenant commitments. We base it on ah. Don't really feel like it though. Too many people believe and sometimes teach that love is a feeling or emotion. Yes, feelings and emotions are involved and they're often beautiful. They're involved in love, but the greatest part of love is action-oriented, right? Love is a verb. It's what you do more than a noun, how you feel. Many marriages, even among Christians, are failing because they value feelings over actions. We see it in the church. I don't feel like being a part of it anymore. I don't feel like going. But can I just say, when we talk about I'm not feeling it, can we just say that as Jesus was in the garden praying, and say, you know what he said to his father? Take this cup from me. As the cross was approaching and he knew it, you know what he was feeling? I don't want to die. I don't want to bear the cross. Lord, take this cup of wrath and suffering from me. I do not want it. Aren't you glad he followed it up by saying, but not my will, yours be done. 
And the will of the Father was action-oriented, and so he bore that cross. He was nailed to that cross, and he died so your sins could be forgiven there. This costly action. And he calls us to love one another like Christ loves us. It's going to cost. It is going to cost. There's three Greek words for love, and the, the, the word for love used here in John 13 is, is agape. It's the most frequently used word um, for love in the New Testament. And it's generally assumed to mean moral goodwill, which proceeds from esteem, principle, or duty, rather than attraction or charm. Agape means to love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. Do you hear that? Agape means to love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. Though agape has more to do with moral principle than with inclination or liking, it never means the cold religious kindness shown from duty alone, as scriptural examples abundantly prove. What it's saying is we are obligated to love in a way that doesn't come off as obligation. (laughs) We are obligated to love in a way that's warm, in a way that's real, in a way that's personal and deep and sacrificial and generous and committed. Jesus was sent by the Father to pursue us with gospel love and it doesn't get more real, personal, deep and sacrificial than that. We are sent by Jesus to do the same, empowered with the real ability to actually achieve it by his spirit inside us. What I find so interesting um, in our culture today is that, yeah, we, we base a lot on our feelings, whether we feel like doing something or not, and we're, we're often self-oriented, so the world revolves around me and how I feel, and that's how we function, right? We've, we've kind of given ourselves to that in a lot of ways, but here's what's really, really, really interesting, is that deep inside, in the recesses of our hearts, Every one of us longs for something very different than that. Every one of us longs for deep, committed, authentic community. Every one of us longs for deep, sacrificial, selfless love to be displayed to us. And we actually deeply desire to display it to others. Isn't that profound? And yet so often when the opportunities come for us to live that way, that's going to cost me. Ah, no. It costs. The great sign of Christ-like love is your love for those not easy to love. The, the great sign of Christ-like love is how you treat difficult people. Don't put up your hands. This is a rhetorical question. You're going to get yourself in trouble. But who avoided somebody here this morning? Saw a face, dodged away hid behind the coffee. There's just somebody you don't want to see around here, maybe. Who's the person you dodge that you don't want to get into a conversation with? Jesus said, a new command I give you. Just as I've loved you, you're to love one another. I'm so profoundly grateful that in the midst of my sin, Jesus didn't avoid me, but he pursued me with love. I'm so grateful to Jesus that when I've been a really difficult person, it's so rare, but when I've been a difficult person, 
Jesus actually pursued me harder, it seems. No? Is that not your experience? Love one another just as I've loved you. You have been so loved by Jesus. Some of you might not even know it yet, but Jesus loves you. And he gives a new command. Love each other the same way I've loved you. That's hard. Loving those you like most and relate to most is one thing. And and look, everybody does that. Loving the whole body of Christ and every person who makes it up is another. 1 John 2, 9 gets really real, really fast. It says this, Whoever says he is in the light, follower of Jesus, and hates his brother is still in darkness. He's not a believer. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. He loves his brother. He loves the difficult. He loves the one that he would otherwise hate unless the Holy Spirit was working. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Do not hate one another. Do not hate a soul in the church. But love one another. For when you despised Jesus, he pursued you. When you were a difficult person, Jesus pursued you. In fact, when you were a sinner, Christ lay his life down for you, even as you were rejecting him. Love for other Christians shows us to be true Christians. Christ-like love only makes sense in light of the gospel and is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look, the love of Christian community is more costly than you think. It's, it costs you everything. But the love of Christian community is more beautiful than you think. We all long for it. We all long for it. And when it begins to play out, when we begin to see it, to love all of your brothers and sisters in Christ will be far more beautiful than anything else on the planet. Because you will be a part of a community like no other that is loving you with the love of selfless commitment as well. People empowered by the Holy Spirit to love like others won't, can't, and wouldn't. As you pour yourself out for others, you will be a part of a church family doing precisely the same thing for you. A church loving each other like Jesus with the power of Jesus modeling Christian community to one another. Like I said, the context for chapter 13 is foot-washing love. Jesus washed his disciples' feet just before these verses. Foot-washing like service and love for one another is what we are called to do. I was told recently that there was a woman in our church who could really use um, some care, who, who just was feeling like she needed a visit, would have appreciated prayer. And, it, and, and Look, I fail at this sometimes. We fail at this sometimes as your pastors. We, just, we don't hear about it or think about it, and we miss you sometimes. Um, something really beautiful happened I, I heard of recently. This woman was, ha- had not been visited for a while and just really, really needed it. Over the course of three weeks, three different women, not in communication with each other, sensed the Lord saying, give this person a visit. So one week, one woman went. The very next week, a different woman in our church said, I think I should go visit this person. The Lord's put that on my heart. Went and visited this woman. The very next week, the third week, another woman in our congregation said, I need to go visit this person and did. And, and, and this individual in our church who just really needed the support, who really needed the love, the care, was maybe feeling like, have they forgotten me? Got visit 
after visit after visit from people in our church who said, I want to love the body. I want to love those who need a, a touch from the Lord this week and have the sensitivity to do it. That is staggering love. That is beautiful love. It is also very compelling love. Look at the third point. The love of Christian community is our most powerful witness to a watching world. Look at verse 35 with me. By this, Jesus says, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Sam Albury, uh, an English preacher, said, the church is the pillar of the truth. Because it is the outlet of God's truth into the world. It is God's means of bringing His truth to all people. But it is also God's family, His household. And for the church to be an effective pillar, it needs to be an effective family. The local gathering of God's people is to embody the gospel in its own life. It is the church being the church in all its biblical fullness that will most commend God's way to wider society. Jesus' command that his followers love one, one another was not just an afterthought. It is a key part of his strategy to win a watching world. See, we are giving ourselves to loving one another but what's so interesting is that it's actually our most powerful witness to a watching world is our loving of one another. Sometimes in the church we think we need to get really savvy and really clever to be compelling to those who don't know Jesus. Sometimes we get really creative and it's beautiful that we get really creative. But sometimes we think we have to do these really obscure or random things to say to the world, look at us, look at us, this is really neat, this is cool, look at what we're doing. And we try and put something on. But what, really what we center things around here at Central is we go about living for Jesus in community together. And, and what's wonderful about that is that it's the most powerful witness to a watching world. It's the most compelling thing to those who don't know Jesus. That loving each other well is actually our greatest missional endeavor. Todd Engstrom, who's the missional communities pastor at the Austin Stone, many of those words probably mean little to you, <laughs> but Todd Engstrom said, for reasons that are biblical, historical, and experiential, we believe that the Christian community is the single most persuasive argument for the Christian faith. In God's providence, people usually need to belong before they will believe. Our community is integral to our mission. The people in your community, our church family, are your best argument. How we treat one another. People come along and they observe it and they see it. Many people have given up on church because they got crushed. Sin prevailed instead of love. But the opposite is also true. Where love prevails, where a people, where a church family are given to sacrificial, generous, no limits to love. Where love prevails, the gospel is confirmed. And as people hang around, they see something so attractive that it confirms what we're preaching to them, what we're saying to them about the gospel. Pastor Eldon, he's preaching um, love one another the same sermon, the same text in Agassiz right now. And so we, were, we got together earlier in the week and, and, and we're, doing, we're bantering around the, the things that we were discovering. And he told me a story about his mom. This is 15 years ago. 
she was diagnosed with cancer, and her church family, uh, a number of people gathered around uh, to pray for her in her living room. They, they had called a prayer meeting to, to pray for her in her living room because she had just been diagnosed with cancer. Interestingly, staggeringly, one man decided to bring his non-believing friend <laughs> along to the prayer meeting for a woman in the church who had cancer. It, to me, it seemed so odd. But there they were in Eldon's parents' living room. A group of people from the same church praying over this woman that they loved and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed for healing and they prayed that, that, that God's will be done and they just lovingly prayed. The man who didn't believe in Jesus was sitting there and you know what he walked away and said to his friend? Yeah, if you guys actually love each other like that, if your church love like that, I'm in. And he gave his life to Jesus. He wasn't waiting to see if their healing prayers would get answered. <laughs> he saw love in the room. Brothers and sisters in Christ pleading to Jesus for their sister that they loved and they just poured it out that night. There's a man who didn't know Jesus and it all clicked. What you, have, what you say about the gospel is true. I'm seeing it happen. The love of Christian community is our most powerful witness to a watching world. Central, I love you. I don't love you perfectly. <laughs> I don't love you particularly well on certain days. And I look at texts like this and I say, oh Lord, I need you to teach me how to love my church family more and more. I, I need to learn this more. But I do love you. I can confidently say to each one of you this morning as your pastor, I love you. And I'm committing myself to love you more and more and more. As I get to know Jesus more and more, I'm committing to loving the people of Jesus more and more and more. And my invitation to you this morning is to say, yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm committed to that. I'm not basing my Sunday mornings on feelings. Should I go? Should I not go? I'm not basing how I treat people with how they've treated me. I'm basing it on how Jesus has loved me and I'm committing to this people. And from that, there will be a staggering kind of love that people will see, and it will be a powerful witness. So Central, I love you. May we give ourselves to loving well this year. May the fruit of the Spirit abound more and more in each one of our lives, beginning with love. And may our love for each other be our most powerful witness to all those who don't know Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. I'm also going to invite a few individuals who are um, going to be available for pray to, uh, to pray with you, to stand up and to get to some different spots in the room. We're beginning this this Sunday, and we will do it every week. Just an opportunity during the closing songs for you to receive prayer. So uh, do you want to go maybe, Linda, to that back uh, wall there? Thank you. We've got someone up here. And we also have, do we have a balcony brother? I think so. We have a third somewhere. Just want you to know that, that we want to consistently do this. Um, would one of you mind going to the balcony? Sorry. We got, yeah, perfect. We're going to try and be available to you in response times every Sunday. This may be a bit of a different shift for us. Uh, there's no pressure. There's nothing super significant about you going forward, but that we're available to, to, to minister together, and we want to make sure that you see that, uh, and know that there's people who will pray for you. 
So um, there doesn't need to be some huge thing in order for you to walk forward. We, we don't want to make a spectacle of it. We just want to be available to you for you to receive prayer. Maybe it's in response to the word and you want to say, Lord, yeah, I want to love like that. I want to love with, in a, with a spirit-empowered kind of love, and I want to commit to that. Just have a brother or sister in Christ pray that over you. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful, it says in James 5. We believe in the power of prayer, so confirm it. Go forward and receive prayer. Um, perhaps there's just something totally different going on in your life or in the life of someone you know, and you just, we believe in prayer. We believe that God uses that as a means um, for working out his plans in the world. So go and just ask someone to pray over that thing with you. And so it can be about any number of things, but we consistently want to do that. I thank you for being a part of this prayer team. They're committed to all service long, all morning long, just giving themselves to interceding on our behalf, and it's a beautiful thing. So we're going to spend some time, a couple songs, we're going to respond, invite you to take the opportunities to receive prayer during that time. It's all part of our worship. So let's bow our heads and pray, and we will respond. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us with staggering love. Thank you for loving us with the kind of love that um, is absolutely life transformative. It changes our lives. Lord, you sought us. You bought us. You pursue us. You poured your life out, your blood. You bled for us. And you empower us. Oh, how you love us. You provide. And you move in our lives. We will meet every need. You will point us towards abundant life, and we're thankful. Lord, as a church family, I just pray over my brothers and sisters, would you make us a people more and more who love that way and lean on you to accomplish it, for that's the only way it'll happen. Lord, I love this church. I thank you for this church. Help us celebrate well, lean in well this this day and this year, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.